Good morning. Happy Memorial Day weekend. Welcome to the Village Church, where our mission is to know Jesus, to enjoy Jesus, and to glorify Jesus. And that's at all times and all things, as we heard last week. And our vision is broken people coming together to embrace and extend Jesus' love. A few announcements. Um, the nursery is open today. Um, if, if you're a visitor, a real visitor, um, you can use the Q, see, QR code in the bulletin to sign in. Um, and that is being used for other aspects of our worship, of our service, um, what's going on, etc., etc. And after the service today, there's no enter the village class this week, taking a break. And the um, ladies' women's ministry meeting was scheduled for today. You may have gotten a flock note on that. It's now shifted, at least at this point, to May 5th or June 5th, next Sunday after the service. So you've got a flock note on that. You're up to date on that. And at the Village Church, we believe that the giving of tithes and offerings is an act of worship. You may give to the vision and mission of the church by scanning the QR code uh, and using the title TBC Giving. That will direct you to the webpage. You can mail it to this, our address here on Virginia Boulevard. Or after the service, if you're here, you can drop your tithes and offerings in the offering plate. An act of worship. Um, church office is closed tomorrow. Advance announcement, just for your memory, there will be a congregational meeting on June 19th. That's like three weeks from today. After the worship service, to discuss the pur- for the purpose of discussing the role of women shepherds. It's something you may have read about. Uh, you want to know more about You'll have a chance then to ask questions and hear about the women shepherd ministry. I do want to say one thing. This is Memorial Day weekend. Too often we take that for granted, just a day off, weekend to do things. But we need to remember and honor those veterans who gave their lives, those families. Um, They gave it all for the freedoms we enjoy and we take for granted also. And part of that freedom is freedom to worship. We should be thankful for the fact we can worship freely in this country. It's because of these veterans who have sacrificed over years to preserve the freedoms that we do have. So just as you have time this weekend, just remember to honor the veterans uh, that you're aware of or just in general to thank them for the freedoms we have. Thank the Lord for the freedoms we have because of their sacrifice. And this morning, our pastor, Alex Shipman, is with his family on vacation. And in his absence, uh, Reverend Bill Nash will be bringing the the Lord's Word to us this morning. And one thing, um, we welcome him for sure. Bill's involved in a, a, a relatively new ministry called Into the Wild, okay? He may say something about that in the course of his sermon. <laughs> but Into the Wild, um, 
He might be in your neighborhood or your home. You never know you, how wild it is. I don't know how wild that. Anyway, at the end of the wild, we'll see what that's about. But we all welcome him today to be in our pulpit to bring God's word to us. Uh, anything on the youth coming up? Next Sunday, the youth. See, see Kate. Yeah, see Kate if you need questions about the youth program next Sunday at the Orion. Anyway, okay, good. All right, as we enter into our time of worship, I just want to pray across this last night. Psalm uh, 147 says, It is good to sing praises to our God. Okay, it's good to sing praises to our God. So we're going to do that now, okay, as we start our worship service. We're going to sing praises to our God, and it's good to do that according to Scripture. So, Praise the Lord for that. Amen. It is good to sing praises to our God. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Larry.
bless thee, O Lord, with a heart of thanksgiving. Do you have something to thank God for this morning? I think we all do. We're sitting here breathing, um, and we can thank him for that. If you would please stand for our call to worship. It's taken from the song, Shout to the Lord. Please join with me where it notes congregation. Shout to the Lord, all the earth, let us sing. Power and majesty, praise to the king. Mountains bow down and the seas will roar at the sound of your name. I sing for joy at the work of your hands. Forever I'll love you. Forever I'll stand. Nothing compares to the promise I have in you. Amen.
like it's in check. Everybody look great. So we got a lot to be thankful. So let's go before the Lord and thank him for this day, this weekend. We are, this, is, this is really a celebration weekend for many week, for many reasons. You know, when you think about Memorial Day, people who fought for us and the freedoms we have, a lot of people can't just pick up their Bible and read. Everybody just can't sit down and pray in peace. And if you're alive and when you're thinking uh, about the kids, the 18 that passed over the last week, we have a lot to be thankful for that God has protected us. We woke up this morning uh, in our right mind, 
And then as a, just as an African-American, I'm excited for the Memorial Day because it was something that was created by former slaves. It was really a decorated day where they really recognized the soldiers and decorated. But then a lot of soldiers that passed, the so, um, a lot of African-American soldiers said, let's have a Memorial Day. And that's how we have it today. So when you think about where you transition from and how, God, how far God has brought us as a country, as, how far God has brought us even as people of color, we have a lot to be thankful for because he didn't have to do it in the manner that he did do it. Um, let's go before the Lord in prayer. Okay. Father God, you are great in all that you do. Uh, that nothing extends beyond your fingertips. You are awesome. You are great. You are magnificent. Lord, you are everything that we're not, Lord. You are. You want to set us above and not beyond. Lord, you grant us favors and things that we don't even deserve. We don't deserve our next breath, but, Lord, you did it. We didn't even deserve your son, but you did it. We don't deserve the house that we live in, but you provided. We don't deserve the food that you put on the table, but you still feed us. I was talking to a friend yesterday. I said, Lord, the birds will starve before we do because you care for us. The number, you number the hairs on our head. You clothe the grass with green. Lord, you are thinking about us and we're not even thinking about ourselves. So, Lord, we have a lot to be thankful for. Praise the Lord for you are good. Praise the Lord for you are merciful. Praise the Lord because you are gracious. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. So, Lord, we thank you for every, every soul that's in this room. The Lord, you said you will put your spirit in our heart. You shall be our God and we shall be your children. There are many in this world can't say that. There are many who pray to someone that never hears them. But Lord, your words say when we pray to you, you lean in a little bit closer. Thank you, Lord, that you hear the voice of your children and your sheep. Lord, we thank you for each child that's here. Lord, I pray that you continue to protect them. Continue to give them guidance. Lord, I pray that you rebuke the devourer. Lord, that you will put the devil where he belongs, the wicked one where his rightful place. And Lord, that he would not come now to our children. Lord, I pray that you grant our children wisdom. I pray that you, Lord, you continue to help them to understand their role in you and how you want to use them for your kingdom. And they are part of what you have, a part of your body and your future. Lord, I thank you for the ministry that we have here. I thank you for the people that come in to serve and don't seek to be served, but come in to be a minister to someone else and serve them with love, with the love of Christ. I thank you for the elders who, I must say, I, I'm, I'm partial to them. I'm one. But Lord, we, they, they die to themselves daily. I thank you for Richard. I pray the Lord you continue to renew his mind. Give him stability mentally, Lord. Make him great in the land. I pray for Pastor Alex. He enjoyed the sun as he worked on his tan in Hawaii. Lord, I know he struggles through that. Lord, help him with that. Lord, thank you, Lord God, for his family getting a break in that time of rest that they need. Lord, I pray that you give him traveling grace and mercy wherever he is. I thank you, Larry. I pray, Lord, you help Larry run a little bit faster. As he always is pretty quick and he's moving. He's the youngest man around here that I know. But, Lord, I thank you for blessing this church with a man that loves you and loves his wife greater than anything else, Lord. Thank you for my friend, Mr. Mr. Bradford. Lord, I pray that you, he believes, but Lord, help him with his unbelief. He's going through a trial, Lord, I think that only you're going to be able to deliver him from. And Lord, I pray that you'll give him the joy of his life, the one that he seeks right now. I pray that things in Jesus' name. 
but I also thank you, Lord, so much for how you sustain this church. Budget, bills, things that, Lord, that you are going before us and you are making a way out of no way. Thank you for the men in this church, the Joshes, the McClures, the people. Lord, I don't want to give names. I don't want to leave anybody out. But, Lord, I thank you for the example that they set before our kids and me. I learn of them and learn from them. The Townsends. Those people are quality people that we need. And so, Lord, I thank you for bringing them to this church. Lord, I thank you, Lord God, for the grace that you've given us. And I pray that you continue to give us overflow, that we not operate out of duty, but overflow. I thank you for the ministry, the drama. She kills it every Sunday. Thank you, Lord, for what she does, Lord. Thank you, Lord, for the pianist, the bass. Lord, all of this is for your glory. Otherwise, it's all in vain. It's just vanity. But, Lord, we pray that you will see the glory this week. I pray for all who are in travel and on this holiday. I pray that they'll be safe. And I pray, Lord God, for the individual who shot up the school. Somebody asked me, should we pray for the Maryland Mansons that God would save them? I think, I think Paul was our greatest example because he was a persecutor of the church at one point in time. And God saved him on his road to Damascus. I pray that all would find their road to Damascus, Lord, and they will find you. Lord, I thank you for all this time. I pray also for my friend who's going to come preach. I pray that he come preach, preach with power. Much conviction. Lord, I pray that, Lord God, he would decrease, that you would increase. I think I pray the words of his mouth, the meditation of his heart, will be acceptable in your sight. Lord, I thank you for this time and prayer. In Jesus' name, we do pray. Amen. Now, we have an opportunity to confess our sins so we could be in right standing with our master. Amen. So, I'm going to read the confession of sin out from Romans 10, 3. And then we're going to have a moment of silence. And then we'll move on to the silent confession and the of pardon. For being ignorant of the righteousness of God and seeking to establish their own, they did not submit to God's righteousness. Let us reflect. And as always, God has always given us a way of escape when we've fallen short. He did it at the beginning when he sent his son to die for us. So now we have the pardon. I mean, the assurance of pardon is from Romans 10, 9. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Amen? Amen. Now we'll have the scripture reading by Miss Susan. Good morning. Um, today, our scripture reading is 1 Peter 3, 13 to 17. Um, and if you're able, please join me in standing for the reading of God's word. 1 Peter 3, 13 to 17. Now, who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled. But in your hearts, regard Christ the Lord as holy always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect, having a good conscience, so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. For it is better to suffer for doing good, 
if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
have a time of prayer. Heavenly Father, um, as I've thought about what to pray about, um, I think about uh, all that's happened this week. Um, On the one hand, it's par for the course. It's a broken world and uh, very difficult and hard things happen all the time. And um, that makes me long for the world to come when all tears will be wiped away and everyone healed and and, and our hearts that are struggling to not be self-centered and have things our way, it'll all change. Um, And I want that for the world. I want that for the people that um, are grieving right now. I want that for nations that are uh, experiencing war the, the disillusionment of just your city, your town, your home is now in the middle of a war. And um, Lord, we are not without hope. We have been we have been born again to a living hope. We have an inheritance that's in, imperishable. And and so, Lord, as we individually in this room, the things that we face, the things that we are struggling with in our own hearts, Lord, let the truth of the gospel the truth that we have a living hope, that there is nothing is meaningless. Um, Lord, let that truth just permeate our lives so that when we look at the news and we see things, it's not devastating to us, but it breaks our hearts so that we pray. And then when we face what we face in our own lives, the, the challenges, the, the, oh gosh, the things that keep us up at night, uh, Lord, let us not be without hope. Uh, let the truth of the gospel reign in our hearts. And let the Lord Jesus, uh, the Lord Jesus, the one who gives us, uh, um, gives us, he doesn't weigh us down uh, because he's carried the load for us. And so, Father, let that truth uh, be what reigns in our hearts always, always, always. And it's in the name of Jesus that we pray. Amen. Amen. Um, all right, so I want to start off just really briefly. Larry mentioned it, but um, this all ties together, by the way. This isn't a shameless plug, but I would like to tell you kind of what I'm doing. <laughs> uh, I promise it's not. It ties in there, and I hopefully you'll, uh, and i got to be careful because I think this sermon's a little long, but hopefully it won't feel long, okay? But um, uh, at the beginning of this year, uh, uh Myself and three other elders in the PCA started a ministry called Into the Wild. And um, it's an evangelism ministry uh, that's designed to, among other things, it's designed to address the challenge of our current culture, the culture that we're in. And then part of that culture is it's, things have really changed because uh, there's no longer a desire or a default setting that says, hey, let's try church. That's just not really out there, even in the Bible Belt. That's not. That's less and less happening, and so the attractional model for a church is less and less effective. It's not build it and they will come, or hey, if we're here already, 
you know, uh, if we send out enough flyers and if we just, you know, they'll come. That's really rapidly changing. Our, it's really odd. Uh, our culture, I think I mentioned last time I preached here, but if we could jump ahead 100 years and we could look back at this time right now, the last 18 months to 24 months, legitimately things have changed really fast, really fast. And so that's the world we're in. And um, so I, part of our ministry is to really help churches think about what, what evangelism can be and should be and is. But at the very heart of what we believe is that this is where people need to be with the body of Christ. They need Jesus. They need the forgiveness. They need to see what Jesus offers. But then they need to be here in the church. They need to be among people so that you know, they're under the preached word and then reading the word. They need the sacraments, the means of grace, certainly baptism, but you know, the Lord's table. And then also they need the community of believers, the body of Christ, right? So that we can spur one another on toward love and good deeds. And then under the leadership of the elders, that's what the world needs. That's what we, that's at the heart of this. And uh, we're not a parachurch. We, like, we see ourselves as an extension of the church. So we do three things, and I'm going to shut up about it. Uh, that um, I work part-time, um, so sort of bivocational would be, the, I guess, the word. Um, and so I'm out in the wild. And that, the idea is that we get outside the brick and mortar out into the wild. You know, we have uh, hearts that are overflowing with rivers of living water. And so we break open the doors of the church and go out into the world. And part of the ministry is just recognizing you're in the wild most of the time anyway. It's just thinking about it differently. So I do it. We all do it on the, you know, the, the uh, board of directors. We, we do it, and then we tell you about it. I send out a newsletter hopefully once a month, but it's usually like every two months. And I keep it short. I tell you stories. It's more like a National Geographic on assignment. I sort of tell you what's, what, I'm, what I'm discovering out in the wild. Um, and, and I try to inspire because I need inspiration. And I'm like, it's, you know, I, um, it's a huge task, but God is so big. So, but anyway, so we, we do it. We tell you about it. And then the third thing is we want to help churches in our denomination, but really just in our presbytery. And we're just starting in Huntsville. We want to see if we can help uh, a church catch the vision. We, we think that if 20% of the people in the church sort of caught this vision for, and it's, um, you know, with what, how to think differently and how to go and engage with people differently, it'll transform the church. You'll have more people that we couldn't reach otherwise through sort of old methods that worked when the world was different. So there's my little commercial. So thank you for listening. Um, Ask your doctor if it's right for you. So, um, <laughs> anyways, um, we did the scripture reading and we heard it at First Peter three, right? And uh, a probably a familiar passage, right? It has that 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 part in there about you know where it says that uh, you're you're supposed to be ready to make a defense. You know, be prepared always to make a defense. And, um, and we think, all right, yeah, because I remember I always thought that, that what that was is, um, like, I got to know all the answers. I got to know the ontological argument, the cosmological argument. I got to know all the hard passages in Scripture. And by the way, do your readings on that. It's really, it's beneficial, it's helpful. Um, but um, I think if we understand the context of this, it, Peter's writing this in the midst of, um, you know, first century Christianity, um, the culture was going this way and Christianity was going this way. And these were people that were in the culture and living in it and now are heading a different direction. And, 
And so they're, as a result, suffer from it to some degree or another. And, you know, it's, it's hard to go the other way when the world's going that way. And um, it gets discouraging, and it can be painful. It can be very difficult, you know. And, and so Peter was trying to encourage. And right at the very beginning of First Peter, he does the whole talk about, really quickly, he just says, you know, he reminds them, you were born again to a living hope. You have an inheritance that's imperishable, that can never be taken from you. It's being guarded. And, then, and it's, going to, it's being revealed even now, but it's guarded. So that idea is, so now therefore, you can endure whatever this is you're going through. Um, and so as we think of the passage that the, the text is about, um, Peter is saying that in the midst of all the challenge that you face out in the culture, there's a tremendous opportunity to tell people um, about the hope you have. I've known this, you know, this is a passage, if you've been a Christian long enough, you've heard this passage. You know, go and, you know, go disciple and go evangelize. But something I I genuinely really miss, and I'll ask it this way, it's when do you tell people about the hope you have? In the passage it says when they ask. Okay, I always thought, you know, evangelism was, you know, you told them whether they wanted to hear it or not. (laughs) Right? Yeah, and in here, yeah, and this is when they ask. And then if you look back in verse 16, um, it, it picks up on something else that I kind of missed. It, you know, it says, having a good conscience so that when you are slandered, so you know, part of persecution is being slandered, you know, talked about, you know, excluded, uh, all kinds of things. You're just a whole list. Um, those who revile your good behavior... And Christ may be put to shame, therefore it's better to suffer to doing good than, you know, if it's God's will, than doing evil. So the idea there is that they are somehow able to observe your behavior, which means you're with them, right? I mean, so there's a a proximity idea, you know, and a process idea going on. So a proximity is you got to be there because, you know, they're going to ask you about the hope. You know, they might, you know, on on a Zoom call or something like that, but typically you're with them. And they can see your behavior. And that's where you, you, know, you go and you live out your faith, right? You know, you're, you do things right. You do things, you know, faithfully. But you're there with them. Proximity, and it's a process. And I always like to think about it as a process is for them to ask you about your hope, the way that can happen is you ask them about theirs. Because if we're all out in the world, we all have things that happen to us. All of us do. It's a broken world. We can't out, outrun it if you tried. I always like to ask people, was like, so how do you cope? And what, what do you do when you're struggling with what the doctor told you or, you know, there's, some, there's something going on that's not right? And you listen to their hope and you just listen, 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 listen. Eventually, they'll say, well, how, where does your hope come from? And then you tell them. So there you go. There's the sermon. <laughs> go be with nonbelievers. Now go evangelize, right? Just Go. Uh, I'm not going to leave you there. I can't. I've got all this time to fill. So I will, um, I, I want to try to inspire you, and I want to see if I can take you to the foot of the cross, because we need to see Jesus. We have to see his face. Jesus high and lifted up. So let's see if I can do that. You know, there's that saying that says you write and talk about what you know. 
right? There is something that happened in my life, my family's life. It is, it, it really helps define our lives. You know, it's probably the most impactful thing apart from coming to Christ, and it's still impacting our lives. And it has, it has done something with us and to us that I think is helpful on a lot of different things. And so I'm going to tell you about my evangelism teacher, and his name is Billy. He's my son. Um, you know, I, I've talked about him in the past, and I'm, I'm always a little nervous to do it, and even to have it as something as I talk about a lot. But I think the time has come, um, and so it's precious. I'm a little nervous to really talk about this, but I want you to understand uh, it is it has profoundly affected my family, and I know it's profoundly affected a lot of people we know. Uh, so I want to tell you about him, and I'm going to tie with what we've learned from him, and we're going to, I'll, I'll be able to apply that to evangelism, and then I'm going to take you to the foot of the cross. And, uh, but let me tell you about Billy. Um, he was born uh, December 31st, 1991. And so he's 30 years old. He's almost 31, and I always thought that was cool, December 31st. There will always be a party on his birthday. It's New Year's Eve. I thought, I thought oh, this is so cool. Uh, I love it. And, you know, it's your first kid. Uh, and if you've had that blessing and that's been able to happen to you, it's, it's an amazing thing. Uh, Sherry was never more beautiful, you know, than she was holding the baby, uh, holding our baby boy, Billy. He was normal, ten fingers, ten toes. I remember he raised his head when I talked to him, and I thought, oh, yeah, he recognizes my voice because I was talking to Sherry's tummy, you know, for the past nine months. And, you know, what a joyous time. Well, as time progressed, you know, and, and you know, we always hung out with other young couples, and it's just shared ignorance. No one really knows what they're doing with their kids, you know. Um, but we began to notice Billy was not progressing like the kids that were born essentially at the same time as him. You know, you get a little concerned, and so we go to the doctor, and they say, oh, here's the deal. It's delayed development. Uh, speech therapy, that'll help. And so speech therapy, you got it. Um, so we just went down that road, and uh, we even found, like, a, a special needs school he could be in to help him sort of bring him along. Because in our minds, he's going to be mainstream soon. You know, he'll be fine. Well, we have two other kids in the meantime. We have, he gets a brother, Alec, and then our youngest, Kelly, um, I get called away from being an architect, living in Atlanta, to going to seminary in Charlotte. Uh, Alex and I went to the same uh, seminary, but at different times. Uh, but it was while we were at seminary that we got the diagnosis that Billy was autistic. Wow, it took our breath away. We're like, well, okay, because he wasn't like really progressing. It really started, to, the older he got and the less progression he made, it was like, wow, what do we do? Um, but he was you know, autistic. autistic. Now, the autism spectrum is pretty big, right? You know, on one end, you have NASA scientists, right? <laughs> Am I right? You know, Richard? Uh, so, so to, um, you know, and on the other end, you know, would be like, you know, 50 years ago, maybe when I was in elementary school or high school, what would be more labeled mentally retarded. And that's, that's the end of the spectrum that Billy's on. And, uh, and so we... Um, we had to begin to figure out what we were going to do. And so my wife uh, is an industrial engineer, I guess imaginary engineer, is that right? So she has this detailed, detailed mind where she said, we're going to do research, we're going to figure out, we're going to help Billy. We're, we're doing this thing. So she goes on the Internet, and, you know, again, we're still in seminary, she's on the Internet, and we find this doctor 
um, that has, seems to have like a really good approach, really good program. And so we drive from Charlotte to Memphis. We meet, he meets Billy. We come back. We're excited. We got this program. It's going to be day, noon, and night. We got it set. We know exactly how it's going to fix Billy, right? We're good. Um, and so even after we graduated seminary and I was planting a church in the northern suburbs of Atlanta, uh, you know, we were trying still everything. We had that doctor, plus we added another one that was in Melbourne, Florida. And that doctor was like um, sort of famous because there was a celebrity that had an autistic kid that took him there, and they did so well, she wrote a book, and it was really awesome, you know? <laughs> so we're doing all of that. But there was something that happened. Um, at some point, Sherry came to me just to say, Bill, you know, we're doing all this work, and I'm going online, and I'm reading all these blogs by these overachieving moms that have mainstreamed their autistic kid. She said, I can't take it anymore. I can't, I'm not reading another blog. I'm not looking at any more on the Internet. We're just going to keep doing what, things with Billy, but I can't look at this anymore. I feel defeated. And I said, I, I get it. Um, so we had to start embracing, you know, a particular reality that most families with special needs children face, you know, and sort of, and we just live accordingly. Um, the idea is that this one size doesn't fit all. And we started to sort of come to the conclusion how helpless we really were to get Billy to be who we wanted him to be. Um, I thought of it this way. There was no switch I could flip. We were looking for the switch. We wanted to figure out if we could just, you know, flick it, he'd be okay. We were looking, 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 always looking, um, and we were realizing there are just no simplistic approaches. You know, it's way more complex than that. And so we had to figure out how to be a family. You know, something like, something like 80% of marriages with special needs kids fail. I get it. I mean, oh my gosh. It is highly disruptive. It's, 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 it's like that you had a death of a child, and that also breaks up marriages, but it's just it's an endless death. It's just constant. Um, and so uh, we had to figure out how to be a family, how to be a spouse to each other, how to be parents to the other two kids uh, and Billy, and how they had to, you know, how, did, how are they doing? That, that we, we really had to figure that out. And so, you know, and I'm a church planter, and then later we moved to Huntsville. I'm on staff at Southwood, a big old church, you know, with, you know, uh, just with all kinds of, we had to figure out how to do that. And... Um, now, what we, you know, we never stopped getting Billy the best care we could, that we could find. Um, and the truth was that over time, Billy just kept getting worse. And um, when he was 17, and I know there are people in this room that probably will remember that when this happened. Uh, when he was 17, it was like after about 18 months of just really, his behavior really nosediving. It became very violent in the home. I would get phone calls like, Dad, get home. Now, Billy's going nuts. I can't hold him anymore. Sherry was like, in tears, get home now, many, many times. Well, there was one fateful Saturday we were having a session meeting. I'm probably Martin was there and got the phone call. Billy's across the street, and I can't control him. He's banging on other houses' windows. So I make this long drive back to the house. It was the longest drive ever, it felt. And, um, you know, from that day on, uh, Billy never lived at home with us. We had to place him out of the home, and I can tell you how miraculously God allowed that to happen. It's not easy getting a special needs child placed in any kind of care, tapping into whatever finances are needed. It's very difficult. It's like winning the lottery. At least it was, you know, that, that many years ago. Um, 
but he, he was placed and um, in his care now, uh, he's in a group home here in Huntsville. We see him uh, as often as we can. Uh, we were just with him yesterday. Um, but we beat ourselves up all the time that, we, that we're just not doing enough. Uh, adult special needs care is never a warm feeling. It's just not. Uh, the, the reminder that we live in a broken creation just never ceases. You know, and I, look, on one level, I really thank God for that because I can get, hey, everything's cool, right? You know, everything's great. But it's a good reminder. And now, you know, we learn survival skills. Uh, having Billy as our son has permanently, permanently shaped my whole family. Um, and I, I tell you, apart from Christ in my life, it's the most real thing that I know. Um, it's probably the most, it's a primary event that has a, it has and is making my whole family. Um, you know, we just even as a family, we, we just try to figure out how to do stuff. Like we have separate Christmas. We have a Christmas with Billy and a Christmas without. Because Christmas with Billy is all hands on deck. It's just, it's chaos and it's just nuts in the house. And, but we do it because he loves Christmas. He loves it, right? So, um, but listen, here's the deal. All that is all, and this is what I believe, period. All that has been under the wise and perfect direction of our sovereign God and King, Lord Jesus, period. I'm okay with it. I really am. But it never feels good, ever. Okay. So we're going to transition here a little. That's the background. Um, I will have to say that there was never really a, like one particular turning point for us, but many. Um, you know, certainly one was when we realized we were helpless. Uh, one was when Sherry announced, like, hey, I'm out. I can't look at another blog. I mean, I'm losing my mind here. Um, can't look at another overachieving mommy blog. Just, they just can't do it. Um, and we realized we needed something for the rest of us. You know, there's a, there's a world out there, especially on the Internet, just a tiny percentage. We needed something for the rest of us. Um, we needed something where we could see a way to live as helpless people, and, but, but still having the call to take care of Billy. Right? We're helpless, but take care of him. See, on the one hand, we were embracing that there is nothing you can do to fix Billy. On the other hand, there's still, we still had the responsibility. You know, our role in his care and whatever progress he may or may not happen, you know, it's like, it's like you're off the hook but on the hook at the same time, right? So we had to learn to live in the tension. There are no simplistic answers. There is something that works, but it's not one, one size fits all. So here are the lessons we learned how they apply to how we live life. Because if you think about it, we really do live in the wild. I'm advocating go out into the wild. Well, we are. Part of it is just sort of flipping a switch and seeing things differently. Like, oh, I didn't see these opportunities. I had no idea that all these opportunities were out here. I think this may help you. It may inspire you. So let me see if I can take some of that and apply it to our lives. All right. Um, there is a need you know, to have something for the rest of us evangelism-wise. So I'm going to talk about Billy and evangelism at the same time. Hopefully I make a good differentiation. Um, but we need something for the rest of us that acknowledges that there are no simplistic answers or approaches or formulas. Um, you know, we weren't fitting into any of the programs. And our life with Billy isn't academic. It's not theoretical. Uh, you know, it's not clinical. It's happening in real time, all the time. And it's very personal. It's very relational. 
Um, and it wasn't going to look like anything else on our website or, again, I'm overuse it, overachieving parent blog. Um, we needed someone to acknowledge this if we were going to keep going. You know, we didn't have anybody. We, we couldn't find the kind of the, that, so we had to figure out how to do it. So we thought, okay, well, maybe we can help parents. And so when we do get the phone call, we said, hey, my best friend's child was just diagnosed with autism. Can you talk with them? We go and we talk more about, like, you know, here's, we help them how to live, not just how to fix their kid. Um, but I would say this, that's evangelism as well, all right, in, in, in this sense. Evangelism is not just academic or clinical or theoretical. It is to some degree, but it's more than that. See, it happens in real time with real people, and it's real messy. Uh, it's not linear. It's not like if you say this, if you say it exactly right, they'll say this, and then they're in, you know? <laughs> it's like, no. Uh, especially when the culture is like this moving target. You know, you just when you figure out how to do it one way, the next day it's different. You go, oh. I don't, I don't know what to do. Um, I think all we, you know, we need someone to acknowledge that truth and offer something for the rest of us. And again, a little commercial again, I think that's what Into the Wild does. It offers, acknowledges, it's not one side, it's, it's a crazy world. And here's something for the rest of us. And so, um, so that's one sort of application. But now in the process of figuring out how to live with a special needs child, we had to develop a few phrases that provided guardrails that kept us focused, focused and helped us take baby steps. One phrase we always said was, we need to stay in Billy's life, stay in his life, to be present any way we could. When he was in the home, staying in his life looked one way. When he was placed and institutionalized outside the home, we had to figure out what that was, stay in his life. Because if we've said, well, if we said we've got to fix them, we've got to do this, everything's got to be just right, it was going to kill us. And it wasn't going to be helpful to him, but we thought, well, let's stay in his life. Because it's a moving target, and so it's a, also a long view. And so I would say to you, something that would apply is that the people in your life where you live, work, and play, I guess is the phrase, um, when you're trying to figure out how to reach them for Christ, you know, I got to say this, I got to do this, and you know, you can start beating yourself up. Stay in their lives. Do whatever you can to stay in their lives somehow. Um, somehow. Um, find, you know, so you hadn't called them in four months. Call them if you can. You know, whatever. You know, this, that idea, right? It's a long view. And I would say stay in their lives. So another phrase we came up for Billy was, and we thought, about, okay, what can we do? Well, I tell you what, we can ease the pain of the fall in Billy's life, right? It's a broken world, and he, you know, born that way, and it's, he's broken, and that's the pain of the fall. It was so hard to see him many times. He was just frustrated. He was just frustrated because he couldn't do what he wanted to do, and then that frustration turned inward, and, it got, and the pain of the fall in him was, you know, just magnified. We, we, we figure out other stuff to do, right? We take vacation, we go, you know, whatever. We, 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 out, we try to outrun it. Um, and so we also, we said, too, we ease the pain of the fallen Billy by loving him right where he is. And so when we get with him, we do what he wants to do. We, hey, it's not about us. What do you want to do? And we, and we, we accommodate him completely. So we just, you know, we love them, love him where he is. Um, we do his favorite things. You know, again, if there was a switch I could flip, I would flip it and everything would be different. Uh, and so that's how I am with people in my life. At least I try to be. Again, don't, you better not hear that. Bill's doing it perfectly. Oh, man, I struggle. 
even if this is the ministry I'm doing, I'm out there making discoveries and learning. It's a wild place out there, right? But So that's what I try to do with people in my life. I want them to come to Jesus, and if there was a switch, I'd flip it, and they'd come to Jesus. But we all feel the pain of the fall. This whole world does. We all feel the pain of the fall. It's a broken world, and it hurts a lot. And if I spend time with people, and I can listen well enough, I might hear what hurts. I might hear what hurts. Now, I may not be able to fix it, just like I can't fix Billy, but I can give hope, I think. I'm sure I can. I know I can. I can meet some need, but I stay in their life. I listen for what hurts because that's what we all share. And I try to do that because it's a long view. It's a long view of being with people. I can put my hand on their shoulder. I can, pr- and I can you know, say, you know, Lord bless you, or just you know, something, just a hug, something. And here's what I do also, though, is I pray. All right? Um, and this is the last point. Uh, I think the only failure, I think, in evangelism is this. If the people you hang out with, where you live, work, and play, where you're with a lot, where they can observe your behavior, like it says in first, you know, chapter 3 of our text, the failure is if after a certain amount of time, they don't know you're a Christian. Like, they just don't know. I think that's the failure. Now, that's why you don't come up and say, hey, I'm a Christian when you're first meeting them. But if they're with you long enough, it should sort of just come out of you. You know, just like if you're an Alabama fan or an Auburn fan, whatever, like, you know, just someone's going to know. You're going to go, War Eagle, at some point, you know, just, just spontaneously, right? Um, somehow they should know you're a Christian. I think that's the failure. If you go, well, here, I think you should read this, you know, Bible, and they go, I didn't even know you were a Christian. You would go, oh, man, I blew that. But here's the thing. So prayer. Um, I try to do this with people. And, you know, and I, because hopefully they know I'm a Christian. I'll, I'll say, hey, can you do me a favor? Um, you know I'm a Christian. Um, I, I like to pray for people. And if you could tell me, tell me what hurts in your life. Tell me what hurts. And I'd, I'd like to pray for you. And, you know, people, okay, well, yeah, here, you know, not like, you know, my Aunt Martha's this or something. You know, I, um, yeah, I, I am kind of struggling. Um, and they tell you about something. And when I pray for them, whether I'm with them or not, I follow an outline that I have used with Billy since he was itty-bitty. I mean, very little. I think it sort of grew, and it became a a prayer outline, a thing that I pray with Billy every time. I mean, since he was little. This is like a 30-year-old man at this point, right? And, um, and, And this is the prayer that I would pray with him. And I still pray with him now um, and before I leave and all that. And this is, this is what I pray. I, um, I pray this. I say, Lord Jesus, thank you for Billy. That, you know, it's, it's been fun being with him. And then here's the outline. I say, Lord, give Billy sweet dreams this week. Because usually we see him once a week or so. Give Billy sweet dreams this week. And the thing I complete in my head is I'm thinking, you know, you know I don't say this to Billy, but I just say, Lord, because I know he's frustrated. And I would love for you to give him dreams where he's able to say the things he can't, do the things that he wishes he could do if he was whole. You know, give him sweet dreams about that, that his dreams are not frustrating like his life. Give him those sweet dreams. And then I pray, also I say, Lord, give him 
peace in his heart every day and throughout the day because his day is just filled with frustration. You know, and it's just, and you can just see it. And then uh, I just pray, Lord, you would give him peace in this, you know, in the chaotic world he's in, but give him peace. And then the last thing I pray for, I say, Lord Jesus, thank you that we will always be a family forever. So I know he'll be with me in heaven. But Lord Jesus, thank you that we'll always be a family forever. And so how I take that outline and I pray for people, and I'll do it either personally with them or, you know, as I think about them. I'll say, you know, dear Lord, um, if I'm praying, if I have my hands on somebody, if I'm just praying for them, I say, Lord, um, you know, give this per- give person X, you know, a, a vision for how things could be better. You know, that's the dream part. Lord, you know, give them a vision for how their lives can be better. The thing they're struggling with, maybe give them a vision of what it would be like if it was over. Just give them that vision for that. You know, let them think about that. And then the part that's about peace, and I say, Lord, give them peace as they struggle with this, as they walk through it. Give them your peace so that it won't crush them. And then the last part is, you know, sort of that we'll be a family forever. I pray that, Lord, the family they do have, the people that in the community that they're in, Lord, that they'll have support. They'll have people there that can support them through this time. And then I pray, too, I'll say, and, but Lord, if my tribe, my community can be of help, then let us do that. Okay, so, you know, there's sort of evangelism, sort of that what Billy has taught me about evangelism, even through prayer. But let me tell you, I left out one thing about the prayer that I pray with Billy. Um, when Billy got placed out of the home when he was violent, and just we had to when he was 17, there was a good month and a half, uh, almost like two. We didn't see him for the early part of it because he went to an psychiat- adolescent psychiatric ward in Decatur, and part of the protocol was like you can't see him for I can't remember how long it was. And it was really sporadic when we could see him and then all that sort of stuff. But once we found a place for him to go, it was in J- Jacksonville, Alabama, an amazing facility called Learning Tree, you know, we drove him there to his new house, and a lot of time had passed. And I wanted to pray that prayer with him before we left. And I was really curious uh, if he would remember something. So I prayed the prayer, Lord, you know, give Billy sweet dreams and, um, this week, and Lord, let him have peace that he's in a new place, and Mommy and Daddy aren't there, all that, you know. And thank you that we'll always be a family forever. And then I paused, because I had this tagline I always put at the very end after Amen. I say, amen, and then I say something. I've been saying it since he was little. Every night at bed, I mean, I'm not kidding, very religiously, right? I did. And so I just paused to see if he would remember it, and he did, and he said it. And I said, amen, and he said, after I said, what does daddy always tell you? And he said, this isn't all there is. And and there's one other thing I left out, and I waited for it, because I always said it at the very end as well. And he said it. He said, this isn't all there is. You'll see. I've said that to him since he was a little kid. I said it to him yesterday when we left. There's the hope, brothers and sisters. There's the hope. Because when people ask you, what is your hope? Because you've been loving them. You've been asking them about their hope. You've been with them. They've seen you. You're with them. They said, what the hope do you have? 
You see, I couldn't look into Billy's face and endure the challenges of an institutionalized care to um, all the sadness I see in Billy's life, all the sadness I see in my family's life, and the way we feel. I couldn't face him if this was all there is. I couldn't do it. You know, Sherry and I would be divorced. You know, I'd probably be an alcoholic. I mean, I'm not, no kidding. I mean, let's think about all the things that can happen. Um, and so I tell Billy every time, this isn't all there is. You'll see. And this is the hope we offer our world. Because as Christians, we're not optimistic. And we're not pessimistic. We're not eating either. I heard somebody say this recently, and they said, you know, we're not optimistic or pessimistic. We're hopeful people. And the reason why we're hopeful is that everything that happens is not meaningless. It's not meaningless because of the life, death, resurrection, ascension you know, of, of Jesus Christ and his return. So it's not meaningless. And so as I close this part here, it's the way that I close probably 98% of my sermons. I just haven't figured out another way to do it. But I love this passage. It's in Hebrews 12. Um, the first couple of verses, and in particular the very last part of verse 1 and then into verse 2, where, where the author of Hebrews says, let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Looking to Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despised the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Right there is that prayer that I pray with Billy. It's all right there because if you think about Jesus, why did he endure the cross? For the joy set before him, you and I, we're his joy. And so Jesus, the dream of Jesus, if I could dare say it that way, as he thinks about the future, as he dreams about it, you know, being a transcendent, he's there now. I mean, all that, but you get what I'm saying. He dreamed about that future where all of our tears are wiped away. There's no more pain. We do the things that we long to do, the things that we long to see, you know, eternal and glorious justice for all. I mean, you know, it's all there. That's the dream of Jesus. That's our dream. And for the joy set before him, and the dream that was before him, and the shalom, the peace of God would reign in a detailed, wonderful, powerful way, and we would always be a family forever, where he is our God and we're his people, and it's a family forever. He's our groom and we're his bride, so we're a family. Oh, my goodness. That's it. See, my family and I have learned from Billy that we have an imperishable inheritance, and because of Jesus' birth, life, death, resurrection, and ascension, uh, we will live with God forever. And so all of life has meaning. And, you know, so we can go out into the wild, and we can love people well, who have nothing to lose or prove or protect, because this isn't all there is. You'll see. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, so grateful for Jesus, so grateful uh, for a world and a truth, and we have no for a truth that allows us to endure. Like I said, I couldn't look Billy in the face if I thought this was all there is. None of it would make sense to me or my family. 
I would be someone apart from you, Jesus, and the uh, being uh, born again into a living hope and having an, uh, an inheritance that is imperishable uh, and that it's, it's being guarded. I mean, so thankful, Lord. And with that truth, we now have been, we can go and see the world differently, see the wild differently. They need hope. They need this hope that we have. Because there are people that are trying to find hope in places that constantly disappoint. And Lord, if this is all there is, their pain is worse than I can imagine. So Lord, thank you for Jesus. Thank you that we can learn from brokenness. And um, I just thank you that you love us. And all of this will have meaning. So we don't have to worry. We don't have to have anything to prove, protect. Certainly nothing to lose. So, Lord, thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Please stand for our closing song.
receive the Lord's benediction. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face towards you and give you sweet dreams, give you peace, and let the truth that will always be a family forever make your heart happy. In the name of Jesus, go. Amen. Oh, up, time out. Oh. Uh, <laughs> Sorry. Oh. I'm going to pray for Bill and his family. Oh. oh, thank you. Father in heaven, thank you for your word to us this morning. I pray that you would encourage Bill and his family as they continue this struggle, this walk. Thank you for the message to us. I pray for Billy. Amen. That you would give him the hope that we all have. Thank you for your good for us. Amen. 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 Thank you, brother. Thank <laughs> you.